Evening church, and this evening we are continuing with our uh, series in the evening of the one another's, and uh, if you haven't been here with us, I think I'm seeing one or two new faces, uh, the one another's are a, a number of commands that form, as a number of commands that form the the second table of the law for Christians. And by that I mean what Christians are, to, what Christians are to do with regards to other Christians. How Christians are to live in light of what God has said. And the one another is really an explanation of the law that we are to love one another. That's what the one another's are. So if you are thinking about what, how am I to understand what the one another commands are, it's really an explanation of what it looks like in practice to love one another. We've spoken so far in this series about the commands to serve one another. Uh, last week we saw the command to not lie to each other, but to tell, the, speak the truth at all times. We've seen that we are to honor each other above ourselves. We've seen uh, that we are to uh, love one another, of course, we saw that. Uh, and many such, uh, many such uh, commands. And this evening is no different. We're going to look at and we are to pray for each other. Pray for one another. That is the command that is not a clear command, actually. There is no singular verse that says pray for each other as a, as a command. But you'll see in the sampling of verses, I'll show you that it is it is so all over the New Testament, this concept of praying for each other as believers, that it, it is an implied command. It is, it is there, it is something that is accepted, um, that, is, that forms a part of a believer's uh, work in front of Christ in thankfulness for what Christ has done to, for them. Now when we're talking about a believer's prayer life, right, we're talking about one of the most sacred things on the planet. When a believer has a consistent walk with their God and goes joyfully in private to meet Him in prayer, few things are similar in glory. In that moment, the, the believer is laid bare before his God. He's standing before the one who knows all of his thoughts or kneeling before the one who knows all of his thoughts, all of his hopes, and there is an inevitable honesty in the private prayer closet. And because of this, uh, very few things reveal the state of your heart than the contents of your prayers. Right? The, 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 the very nature of the, the concept of praying before an all-seeing God, an all-knowing God, means that at that moment we truly understand what exactly is inside your heart. When we study the Apostle Paul, we realize that in him we have a man who is consumed with the welfare of other Christians. We know this because over and over again, in his letters, he reveals to us that he prays for different believers and he tells us exactly what he prays for. Now you can say to people that you care for them and that you love them, but if you're praying for them, that adds a weight that outweighs all the words. If you 
Go to God in the moment of vulnerability and honesty and you plead with God on their behalf, taking their joys, taking their pains, taking their hopes and their disappointments, and you bring that to God consistently. That reveals a lot more about you than a smile on Sunday morning. Paul's letters are filled with records of his unceasing prayers for the saints. So much so that in studying him, we see that we ourselves could be spending more time praying for other believers. Praying for other believers seems to be assumed in the New Testament and particularly exemplified not only in the life of the Lord Jesus Christ, which of course he is the great example and he prays for believers in John 17 and in other places, but it is also exemplified in the lives of the apostles. Rarely are we given an exposition of why we should pray for others. Instead, we just see believers praying for each other. We just see that happening throughout the New Testament. And this evening, that is what we're going to do. Um, I'll discuss with you this evening four reasons from the New Testament why we should make it a regular practice in our lives, whether in family or in private. We should make it a regular practice uh, to pray for one another. Let's look at these reasons for why we should pray for other believers. The first reason is that we are to pray for other believers. Praying for other believers is a chief expression of love for them. It's a chief expression. Second, praying for other believers entrusts them to God. Third, praying for other believers proves our love for the advancement of God's kingdom. And fourthly, Christ Jesus prayed for other believers. Here are four reasons why you should pray. It is a chief expression for our love for the, for the other believers. It entrusts them to God. Uh, it proves our love for the advancement of the kingdom of God. And uh, Christ Jesus himself prayed for believers. First, praying for other believers is a chief expression of love. We have discussed at length uh, throughout this series how we are urged and told to love one another. There's many scriptures. In fact, you can't, you can't run away for the multitude of verses that talks about the fact that we ought to love one another. All the New Testament writers touch on it. John in 1 John 3.11 talks about it. Peter in 2 Peter 1.7 tells us that we are to love one another. Paul in Romans 13.8 says we are to owe no one anything except to love, except the debt of love. And the Lord Jesus himself in John 13, 34 says, the new commandment he gives us is an old command that we ought to love one another. There's simply no escaping your debt of love to other Christians. And if we properly examine these texts that I've just mentioned, uh, we will notice that there are no qualifiers. We are to love each other without condition. Okay? The thing that qualifies a believer to have your love is the very fact that they are a believer. Jesus died for them. He has put them in the same family as he has put you. Therefore, love them. It's not a choice. It's not a matter of love them if at that time or not so. There is no conflict that gives you an excuse not to love another believer. 
There is no history between the two of you that frees you from the debt of love that you owe another believer. There is no emotional state, no physical state, no financial situation that frees you from this debt of love to other believers. Whether or not they share your same skin tone, whether or not you have heard them in the past saying something about you, whether or not they have hurt you, stolen from you, whether or not they seem too busy to talk to you these days, there's simply there is, there is no condition that frees you from this task. You are to love them. And of course, there are a number of ways that we, we, we have already discussed in the series of how to love one another. We are to provide for each other's needs. We are to serve one another. We are to confront one another's sin. We are to not lie to one another, etc. We've dealt with these things. But this evening, let me suggest to you that a key, one of the key ways, one of the chief ways that we express love for one another is in private we show love to the other by bringing them before God. Come with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 3 and verses uh, uh, 6. 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 6 to 10 is really where we're at here. This is what Paul says to the Thessalonians. But now that Timothy has come to us from you and has brought us the good news of your faith and love and reported that you always remember us kindly and long to see us as we long to see you, for this reason, brothers, in all our distress and affliction, we have been comforted about you through your faith. For we live if you are standing fast in the Lord. Listen to that. Verse 8. Let me say that again. For now we live if you are standing fast in the Lord. For what thanksgiving can we return to God for you, for all the joy that we feel for your sake before our God, as we pray most earnestly night and day that we may see you face to face and supply what is lacking in your faith. Well, there's a lot, there's a lot we can note in this text, but let me just note for you two things. First, Paul and his companions feel revived. They feel alive because they have heard that the, uh, that the believers at Thessalonica are standing firm in the faith. And that's something. It says we live. We feel revived. We feel energized for the week ahead because we have heard that you are standing firm and you are not swerving from the faith. This news of health and steadfastness of their faith fills them with strength even in the midst of their own trials. Paul says that they are comforted, that the severity of their own condition is diminished because of the good news coming from Thessalonica. By the, and, and, uh, you know, by, by the way, this is one of the mysterious graces of the Christian life, that we can love each people so deeply that their success and things going well for them can give us sunshine even in the midst of our dark days. To love someone so deeply that because they're smiling and the Lord has, been, has given them kind providence, we can feel a warmth and a revitalization within us. And we pray that that will be so for us as it was for Paul. Paul's joy causes him to pray. He asks, what thanksgiving can we bring before God for you? What sufficient thanksgiving is there that we can bring to God because He has worked in you such that you stand? Well, when he thinks of them, he feels himself owing God thanksgiving 
So he prays night and day, pleading with God that God would allow him to see these people face to face and supply what is lacking in their faith. This piece here, praying that he may see them face to face, might seem like just a normal run-of-the-mill, you know, I miss you and I want to be with you kind of thing. You know, when we send people WhatsApps out, it would be great to see you again. But that's not what's going on here when he says, I want to see you face to face. What's going on here is that Paul knows that he is the apostle of Jesus Christ. And being the apostle of Jesus Christ, he knows that he is the instrument by which if he is there among them, they will be revived because of the words that he will speak to them. He knows that he is a conduit for grace in that particular way. So if he sees them face to face, he will be able to build them up and supply what is lacking in their faith. This prayer here expresses a request that if answered would be the best thing for the Thessalonians. It's not really about Paul being able to travel to get to Thessalonica. It's really about the Thessalonians getting everything that they need. And he knows that one of the things they need is words of upliftment coming from him as the apostle of Jesus Christ. This prayer is born out of concern for the well-being of the church. Uh, He is a prayer for the weak in the church, for those who are struggling in the church. A concern that false teachers might soon be infiltrating the church and leading people away from the truth. A concern for all those people in the church who need help and guidance in the way that they should live. Whether it's needing the help in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus or just needing godly wisdom for life. You know, some people just need godly wisdom for life. And Paul sees that if I were to be able to go there, I could give them the wisdom that they need. They're a young church. They need his help as an apostle. And he wants them to grow and so he prays, Oh dear God, may I be able to see them again. Love here is expressed in a request to God that God would supply their means. And that is what, that's the, it's a key way of expressing love. May your need be filled. Lord, may you see what they need and provide what is lacking. Now, not all of us are the Apostle Paul. In fact, I shouldn't have phrased it that way. None of us are the Apostle Paul. And so none of us really could pray this clearly in this particular way, but we could certainly pray for the point. Lord, with this brother or sister, may you please provide for them what is lacking. Whatever it is, whatever they need, uh, whatever it is that you see in your wisdom they need. If they need more teaching, please provide that. If they need more grace in dealing with their daily life, please provide that. If they are struggling with assurance of faith, please provide that for them. If, if they need some strength, some backbone to say no to a certain sin that keeps showing its face, then please, Lord, provide them that backbone of steel. If they are if they're perhaps consumed by false teaching, please, Lord, remove that false teaching from their lives. If they are needing food to eat, provide the, their physical needs. Do you, do you see the point of this? It is, it is entrusting them to go praying to God that God would indeed uh, care for them and give them what it is that they are lacking. Of course, it would be helpful if you get to know the believers so that you can know specifically what to pray for as what they see. 
But even if you don't know someone specifically, even if we, this is one of the reasons why we, we, we try to aid this by having these prayer items that come every Sunday. We get a few members of the church and let's pray for them publicly so we know what to pray for. But even if you don't know what to pray for and you had a conversation with someone, you say, I'm going to pray for that person. Just pray this simple prayer to the Lord. Lord, provide this person what in your all-knowingness and in all your, your all-seeing what they need. Provide it for them. Take them to God. Show them your love by asking He who knows the depths of their hearts and the depths of their need. That's the first thing. It is a chief way, one of the chief ways of expressing love. The second thing is that praying, the second reason for why we're to pray for one another is that praying for other believers entrusts them to God. Let me begin this point with an illustration. Here's a friend of yours. He is struggling with some sin, okay? Um, and you confront this person regarding this problem, this issue in their life. But it's a process. The person continues to struggle, yeah? It's not a sin that, you know, while they hate it and they turn away from it, it's a, it's a struggle. Maybe it's a way of speaking. Maybe it's something that's really annoying. They, 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 they do something that's really problematic. And they, maybe they're, you know, maybe they're, they're, you know, in their speaking, they're not clear enough, or perhaps they often fall into lying. Uh, perhaps there's just all kinds of different things that are happening with them. They're untrustworthy. Often you tell them, hey, listen, man, just, okay, just when you say something, just mean it so that we can rely on you. And they falter often. It's a, it's a problem in their life. Perhaps they just they lack certain graces and you, you're not seeing change over time. If the goal is that that person is freed from the power of this sin, which is the better course for you to take? Here are two options for you, multiple choice. A, remind this person to stop sinning each time he does fall, or B, pray privately and earnestly and consistently that the Lord would heal this person and free them from this sin. Two choices. What's the, if the goal, remember what the goal is. The goal is that this person stops doing this, right? The goal is that this person is freed from the, the chains of the sin, that you know, they, they, they have an indwelling sin, a besetting sin, and they keep falling into it. If the goal is that they are freed, that they can walk in freedom, which of the two is the right course of action? Keep nagging them about the issue? Constantly, you see, you've done it again. You've done it again. And if this is happening between spouses, it could get, could get problematic real quickly every day. You've done it again. You've done it again. Is that the thing that's going to help? Or is really, when this person, you're falling, you're falling into it again. Let me make it a point to pray with you. Or pray even just privately without you. And trust you to God who can change you and free you from this. You be the judge as to which is the right course of action. But I think that if we look at, for example, 2 Thessalonians chapter, 2, 2 Thessalonians chapter 1 verse 11, we will see that the answer is clear. Look at 2 Thessalonians chapter 1 and verse 11. This is what Paul says. 
To this end, we always pray for you that our God may make you worthy of His calling and may fulfill every resolve for good and every work of faith by His power so that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you and you in Him according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Did you notice what's going on here? This prayer here that Paul prays for the Thessalonians shows that where exactly Paul puts his trust for their grace and advance in the Lord. He asks that God would, one, make them worthy of his calling, and two, that God will fulfill every resolve that they have for good by his power. That God would fortify when there's that resolve, I'm going to stop doing this sin that I can do this and do the right thing in the right way, that God is the one who, who undergirds that by His power. What is essential in all of this is that Paul is aware that if anyone is to progress in their knowledge of Jesus Christ, it is going to have to be the work of the Holy Spirit. Yes, in Philippians 2 verse 12, he says, The Philippians are to work out their salvation with fear and trembling. But even in there, he says in verse 13, that it is God who works in them to will and to do what pleases them. Paul is convinced that our sanctification will go nowhere without God working powerfully in our lives. John Owen captured this thinking well when he said that it would be easier for a person to see without eyes, taste without a tongue, than to truly kill one sin without the aid of the Holy Spirit. It's much easier to see without eyes, to taste without a tongue, and to hear without ears than it is to kill a single sin without the power of the Holy Spirit. This is, of course, not to undercut the effort that Paul emphasizes that we ought to put in work in order to be sanctified. He says that aspect a lot, and that is true. But Paul recognizes that an active thing he can do on the other side of the sea while he's not with the Thessalonians is this, that he can pray and ask God to take the work and complete it. That God might undergird their advance with his own power. Paul has, the, has this attitude throughout his letters. He prays for the Philippians that their, life, their love may abound still more and more in real knowledge and all discernment so that they may approve the things that are excellent in order to be sincere and blameless until the day of Christ. And for, Philip, for Philemon, he prays that the fellowship of his faith may become effective through the knowledge of every good thing which is in him for Christ's sake. All of these prayers provide an example of his attitude for us. The attitude that he has is an attitude that all believers should aim to have. That I will entrust my fellow believers and their livelihoods, indeed, and their sanctification to the Lord. That as it pertains to their needs, I will pray for them. When believers are in need of material blessing, we are called to help. Right? If believers are in physical need, material need, we are called to help. But if believers are in need of spiritual need, we're also called to help. And one way we can help, a chief way we can help, 
is by entrusting them to the one who can free them. Our prayers for each other's dear saints must be ambitious. Okay? While praying for exams and for jobs and you know the material things, it's all good and well, and we should do that. That's wonderful. But we, need, we needn't stop there. Okay? We needn't stop just in the material. We must also go into the spiritual where God is. And we need to pray ambitiously. Here is a person who clearly has many problems. Here is one who struggles with a number of sins. Dear God, what wonderful thing you could do by your power if you can transform this stumbling, weak, falling this way and that believer, if you can transform them into the image of your Son. Now I know, God, that you will do it at the end in the last day, but show us a glimpse of that now. May this person have an emotional, an emotional life that's like Christ. May this person have the attitude of Christ. May this person really have the mind of Christ in the way that they think. May this person apply their minds and apply their heart and their energy and their lives in the way that Christ does. And Lord, if anybody can do it, you can. Let's have ambitious prayer for each other. It's not just complain about each other's problems and each other's sins and each other's weaknesses, or at least if we shouldn't complain at all, but we, can, we, we, we do have sometimes a responsibility to confront one another, and certainly that's the case. We should confront one another at times. But that's not the end of the story. Let's pray ambitiously for one another that the Lord might make a wonderful thing come out of each and every one of us. Thirdly, Praying for other believers demonstrates our love for the advancement of, ki- of God's kingdom. Colossians chapter 1, 3 to 14. I'm not going to spend much time with this. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints. Because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, Paul here is praying for the Colossians that he has never met. But because of his love for the advancement of the kingdom of heaven, since he heard of their faith, you see he says there in verse 4, since we heard of their faith in Christ, he keeps praying that the Lord would advance them, that the Lord would preserve them, that the Lord would sanctify them. And why is this? Well, it is because Paul's heartbeat is the advance of the kingdom. And for you and I as well, that is why we need to make it a practice in our lives to pray for other believers, not just here, but elsewhere. To prove to the heavens our love for the the advancement of the kingdom of God. So you know that you are very selfish if your prayers are all about you. You know that. You don't really have to be told by anybody else. If your prayers and your concerns and your pleadings with God are just about you and yours, well then that's really the scope of where your heart is, right? Where your, treasure is, where your treasure is, there your heart is will be also. So if your treasure is you, and that's what then you'll be pray, praying about. And if there's a threat to things that are happening here, then that's what you're going to pray about. And if you want things here to advance, that's what you'll be praying about. But if you care about the kingdom of God and its advance throughout the world, and the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ and His return, if that's what you care about, 
then you will care and pray for believers all over the place. You will, care, you will pray for the believers here in front of you, praying for, the, for the, the, their advance in sanctification and their growth in grace, and you'll be praying for other believers elsewhere as well because your heart is there because that's where your treasure is. And I mean commend that to you as a practice to pray for other believers because that really shows and actually even trains us uh, trains us to love. You know, it's very, you know, let me, you know, when you think about the people around us, you know, and how they always, we're always annoying each other as human beings, we're, we're grating on each other often. Now, take a moment and pray for that person. You know what happens? It's very hard to be complaining about someone when you've just gone and prayed earnestly for them before the Lord. You, you're going you're gonna to come out, don't you, when you pray, don't you come out out of praying hopeful? And f- having that feeling of peace and hope that the Lord can really answer your prayer. So when you're, when you're praying for the person next to you and you're praying for this situation, you, you don't come out then after you've earnestly prayed, then come out swinging. Well, it's the same way when, you, when, you, when you're praying for the others. Even if you don't feel that love, even if you say, you know, I mean, there's people in Afghanistan, I mean, I, I don't know. I have no connection. But if you're praying for the believers there, it trains your heart and it takes your treasure and puts it elsewhere. So sometimes we want to say, I need to feel something before I do it. But that's not the way of the kingdom, is it? The way of the kingdom is that just do it and your heart should follow. Do what you're called to do. Don't wait until you feel it and your heart will follow. Because you're putting your treasure, you're busy putting your treasure in all these places and your heart will grow in affection for those things. So I commend that to you, that even if you feel like perhaps, you know, really you're describing me when you say that I always pray for myself. That's okay. Don't feel guilty. Just realize that, okay, I need to now change that and pray for others and pray for other people and thereby my heart will be attached to them in the way that it should as well. Finally, we pray, we have said that we, we should pray for our, one another because uh, it, it is a key, a chief way of showing our love for one another. We pray for one another because it entrusts the person to God and God is the one who can actually bring about the change. Thirdly, we pray for one another because that proves our love for the advance of the kingdom. Now finally, we pray for one another because Jesus Christ prayed for us. Come to John 17 as we close. In John chapter 17, verse 20 to 21, the Lord Jesus Christ prayed for His entire church in a majestic prayer. A prayer that you could mine the depths of for hours. Listen to what He says there in verse 20. I do not ask for these only. And when He says these only, He means He's talking about the twelve, the, at least the eleven more specifically. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them even as you love me. 
Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am, to see my glory that you have given me, because you loved me before the foundation of the world. Christ prayed a holistic prayer for all believers. And so therefore you and I are to pray for all believers as we imitate our Lord. In His name we pray. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, You have shown us the way. You have uh, had Your body destroyed for our sake and have given us life in Your name. And now You have even prayed for us, Lord, as we have seen. So we pray, Lord, that You would give us this grace that we might consider each other and bring each other before the throne of grace. What a blessing it is to bring Your people to You, a people that we know that You love, a people that we know that if You have given Your own body for them, what else would You not give? It is a great privilege and a great blessing and honor for us to be able to bring Christians before You. And so for that, Lord, we ask uh, that You would give us grace to do so and do so joyfully. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.